0: All right, Jesse, last week's Death Farm murder quilt situation was
1: pretty nuts. What's the story this week? A cold blooded murder reveals a couple's secret hedonistic lifestyle and a shady wife with her own deep dark life with a young lover and a pile of self righteous hypocrisy. <laughs> get ready to get enraged this week. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jessie Pray, and this is Love Murder.
0: Hi, Andy. Hello, Jesse.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, the podcast where true crime meets human interest and where the right combination of lust, greed, and toxic love can turn even the most mild-mannered into murderers.
0: You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast.
1: And as always, if you enjoy the show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app and help new people discover the show. So also, before we jump into murder and mayhem this week, I do want to shout out a couple of wordsmiths from Instagram. So two weeks ago, remember, Andy, when we had our Pleasant Valley episode?
0: Oh, how could I forget?
1: (laughs) Old Fred. Old Fred (laughs) Andros, not Andrews. (laughs) (laughs) So I asked everyone what the best term for a male mistress would be because I have a feeling it's going to come up in this show several times. It definitely will. Mm-hmm. And so our top two entries were mistress, which is pretty <laughs> good. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> that was from Hellcat Kelly and maelstress from Peach lee 14 on Instagram.
0: Okay, those are both genius. Thank you. I know both they're both so, so
1: good. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys. We swear we're going to be in person with each other next week. It's so exciting. Yay! Yay! And um we'll actually get to have a merch meeting and once we do, we'll have fun things to send out to some of you who, you know, do reviews and participate in stuff like this and give us some great terms to use. So there there are rewards coming and I know you're probably thinking You said this three weeks ago to us, (laughs) and and it's true. It's still coming, but we just really have to be in person to finally do our business meetings. For now, we've just been rolling by FaceTime and trying to get by on other sides of the country.
0: Yeah, which is fine, but I think it's going to be a lot more – there's going to be a lot more creative juices flowing when we're together. Exactly, and fun.
1: Fun Mm -hmm. to be had hugs to be shared after we get our COVID tests. Um, (laughs) Multiple COVID tests. Multiple COVID tests. After we don our PPE, we can give each other hugs finally. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you guys again, Hellcat Kelly and Peachley14. You will see your efforts be rewarded in future episodes when we use those phrases. So Okay. On to this week's story. This is a perfect love murder story. It's secret swingers, suburbia, and a heaping dose of hypocrisy.
0: I love the suburbia stories.
1: Yes, this is definitely another one of those people you'd least suspect type of stories. And just when you think you've heard the craziest part of the story, it gets crazier. Um, So I'm really excited to share it with you today. So let's jump right in. It was a hot and breezy desert evening on August 17th, 2014 in Tehachapi, a small California community situated in the highway between Bakersfield and the Mojave Desert. It was nearing sunset when Sean Ware pulled up to the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway Complex. Sean was on the night shift, relieving his co-worker Robert Limon. Almost immediately, Sean knew something was wrong. The metal door to the work area was closed tight, something unheard of in the sweltering 89-degree heat. His instincts told him that more than just an unannounced break was going on here. Sean raised the door with a remote opener and stepped on broken glass immediately. To his right, the small office was wide open and completely ransacked. The skin on the back of his neck prickled as sweat dripped down. Something was indeed very, very wrong. Walking around the front of a work truck, Sean spotted the crumpled form of a man slumped against the driver's side tire of the truck. Sean dropped to his knees. Rob, Rob, what happened? Wake up, buddy, he pleaded. His eyes scanned the man, his brain not fully comprehending what he was seeing. Robert's face was vacant. One eye closed, the other half open. Blood, so much blood pooled below him making the floor shiny and slick. Panic seized Sean, who dialed 911 with trembling hands. The operator told him to attempt CPR. Following the instructions, Sean pulled Robert down flat on his back and put his face close to Robert's. No breath. The operator told him to push his hands on Rob's chest and begin compressions. When Sean did... Only blood oozed out of Rob's lifeless body. Ugh. He recoiled in horror and backed out of the building at the operator's instruction. Dazed and barely paying attention to the person on the other end of the line, he wandered out on the hot black top of the parking lot. A neighbor approached and asked him what was wrong. Sean whispered, I, I think Rob's dead. And it finally hit him. He fell to the ground and began crying, the adrenaline leaving his body cold, even in the hot evening. Later, he wouldn't remember how long he sat like this, but he would remember what he said when the sirens and the officers and the police cars arrived. Sean pointed to the garage and said simply, He has two kids. Robert Limone had two perfect, beautiful children. He had a beautiful wife, a perfect life, filled with beloved friends and family who utterly adored the handsome, fun-loving, and hardworking 38-year-old man. But the perfect couple had some not-so-perfect secrets, and it would be the secret his beautiful wife was keeping from him that it would eventually lead to Robert's horrific murder. What, or rather who, was Sabrina Limon's secret, and how did it blow up the lives of several families and communities? Let's find out, shall we? Sabrina sounds saucy. Sabrina is a saucy minx indeed. (laughs) So we're going to roll right into the investigation with this one. So we're taking you right from that moment into the investigation. So Robert was declared dead at the scene and investigators immediately leapt into action. From the jump, they believed the scene was staged to look like a burglary. So they immediately knew that it wasn't actually a burglary. The gut feeling was that Robert Limone was specifically targeted, uh, although it didn't really seem like a professional hit either. So they knew somebody who most likely knew him was the killer. Okay. The detective spoke to poor Sean who explained what the men did for BNSF, which is what we'll be calling the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railway. They were both rapid responders. 20 trains a day went by the Tehachapi Pass, and it was the rapid responders' job to jump on the train and make any quick repairs in the case of a breakdown. Sounds very stressful. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, it was their job to keep the, the trains on schedule, so they had to jump on, make the repairs fast, and keep them moving. That is wild. And then how did they get off? They they literally jumped on fixed it. I think they would briefly stop or they would okay. just really slow down. I, then I they wish would jump. It was off. just
0: like it was actually like they had to like <laughs> jump on me. a moving train and like start repairing and like, you know, carabinger their way up the side of the okay, train. Okay, that would
1: be really wild. I think the train stopped.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean it's you know, still
1: it's still pretty wild a job. It's still very stressful. I don't and know I- if it's says- as as stressful I'm, as the one you were imagining.
0: I'm over it. It's over. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs>
1: <bad>. <laughs> um, so they always worked 12 hour shifts and they always, always worked alone. So Robert was a sitting duck for his killer. Sean shared some other interesting information. Robert normally worked in Barstow Yard, not Tehachapi. So he was merely covering someone else's shift, perhaps the real intended target? Huh. So it was definitely a lead to chase down, but first they needed to alert Rob's loved ones of his untimely passing. They discovered his address on his driver's license, a bucolic-sounding home on Strawberry Lane in Helendale.
0: Yeah, that sounds really nice.
1: Mm -hmm. They also discovered a haunting last text message on his phone. Babe, I'm worried about you. Call me. Leanna wants to say goodnight. It's really sad. Sadly, Robert's children would never get to be tucked in by their father ever again.
0: Okay, Jessie.
1: <laughs> Just really bring it on home. So sad. So sad. By the time Detective Myers spoke to Sabrina Limone, the widow, she had been informed of her husband's death by two BNSF colleagues who drove out to her house. She had, when she heard the news, collapsed in grief, and her two children, an 11-year-old boy named Robbie, named for his father, Ugh. and an 8-year-old girl named Leanna, exploded into tears. They found out at the same time she did. Oh, my God. Ugh, Sabrina was completely gutted. Her sister Julie immediately came over to inform the rest of Robert's family. Sabrina had been informed her husband had died of a head injury, but it wasn't until the 1.30 in the morning call from the detective that she was told that he was, in fact, murdered. Is that normal, like, for them to? I think that the railway's responsibility because he died at work was to inform her that he had passed, but maybe the police didn't want them to say that he was murdered yet? I'm not sure. Okay. Just curious. I mean, technically they were correct. He died of a head wound, but it was a gunshot to the head. Okay. <laughs> so not, she seemed, not really the same. Yeah, not, not the same thing. I mean, you think if you hear from your husband's job, which isn't a technical job, that he died of a head wound, you think something dropped on him or he was hit by something. Yeah. Has an accident. It's like gunshot isn't usually a standard work hazard. No, no, it is not. No. Unless you're a police officer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So she seemed hollowed out by grief, utterly confused and bereft at how the trajectory of her life had changed in only a matter of hours. By all accounts, she seemed the picture of a grieving widow. Mm hmm. For that before. Is- yeah. We don't trust her. Not even a little bit. <laughs> So, the couple had been married for a happy 14 years. Robert and Sabrina had met at a family barbecue in 1999. The tall and striking 23-year-old Rob falling quickly for the sweet and beautiful 18-year-old daycare teacher right away. Robert was the youngest of five children, all sisters. So, he wow. was the baby boy. hmm And he was spoiled mercilessly. Spoiled rotten, his oldest sister Lydia said laughing. He was the only boy and we couldn't pick on him. He was a great kid though and when we had family picnics and family reunions at the park, Robert would wander off and go to other people's picnics. He was a little social butterfly and always adventurous. Also, all of these quotes from Robert's family and other people involved with the case come from the book Better Off Dead, a sordid true story of sex, sin, and murder by Michael Fleeman. So that is the text we will be using for this episode. So thank you, Mr. Fleeman. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Rob would remain that way for the rest of his life, that social butterfly, adventurous thing, kind-hearted, generous, really outgoing. He always had a wide grin on his face. His obituary read, Rob spread sunshine everywhere he went and touched the hearts of everyone he met. Sabrina was a young, slim blonde who also loved going out, made friends everywhere they went, and always had a warm smile on her face as well. They were a match made in heaven. In later years, Robert shaved his head and accentuated his broad, handsome face with a dark goatee, and Sabrina maintained her lithe figure and bleach blonde locks. So they—they they kind of looked like a famous motocross racer and like his best groupie gal. Okay, amazing. <laughs> you would—I Im- could like imagine them like at a dirt bike, and him like getting a trophy, and her being like, "Yeah, babe." <laughs> like they looked like really fun and like like sexy, but like kind of dirty. Yeah. Um, and kind of like racy, you know. Um and Robert really <laughs> he looked like a guy who listened to Sublime. <laughs> he had that eras like that those 90s like early 2000s eras kind of like oversized clothes and like the vans sneakers, you know. Awesome. Kind of that skater style California too. A very California. That's exactly it. It's a very California style. They both really exemplified that kind of California, especially like the desert area California look. Mm-hmm. So when Lydia first met Sabrina, Lydia's Robert sister, she knew right away they were going to get married. Her baby brother was smitten and Sabrina was just Infatuated with him as well. It was just a hit from the get go. They were married just about a year after they met at a big church wedding in Prescott, Arizona on August 19th, 2000. With the help of Sabrina's sister's husband, Robert scored a well paying gig with the BNSF. And shortly after the wedding, the two moved to Hellendale, where they welcomed two children, one of each to their delight, and built a nice life for themselves. Until that horrible day in 2014, which was only eight days after Robert's birthday and only two days shy of their 14th wedding anniversary. Oh, God. Ugh. While Sabrina was putting the pieces of her life back together and attempting to make sense of her husband's murder, the medical examiner was already hard at work on Robert's autopsy. At death, Robert was 201 pounds and just a hair under six feet. Dr. Whitmore, who was the autopsy doctor, began recording his findings. Robert had been killed by two gunshot wounds. The first had entered at the left side of the chin, shattering the jawbone and passing through the top of the spinal column. It appeared the gun had been fired at Robert from a close-range upward angle. A second bullet wound was located on the upper right side of Robert's chest. The bullet also traveled in an unusual upward path, Whitmore had never seen anything like it. It was as if the shooter were lying on the floor at Robert's feet and aiming skyward. Listen to how crazy this is. This second bullet pierced the body cavity, crashed into the right collarbone, exited the body near the shoulder, and then re-entered the body through the right side of the neck. Whoa. Yep then the bullet tore through the muscle that turns the neck perforated both the right jugular vein and the carotid artery Which and that's... traveled into the head Whoa. so it was like in and out of his body like three times
0: and hit like two of the most important
1: arteries yeah. yeah and then it was and then it went inside of his skull and it rattled around inside of his brain
0: I, I I can I will never understand how that happens.
1: I like, guess you know our how those- are just a lot thicker than you think, huh? I know,
0: and there's those bullets that go like all ricochet over. around. Yeah, mm.
1: it's like a pinball. No. Yeah, so it it seems very bizarre this shot that the murderer took at him, but highly effective.
0: I wonder if that was planned or just luck.
1: We'll see. Mm-hmm. I will let you know. So the cause of death was the gunshot wounds, obviously, and the manner of death, undoubtedly, homicide. Robert Lamone was shot twice up close from down low and didn't even put up a fight. So he didn't have any of the telltale defensive marks, especially in gun situations. Usually a person raises their hands and there's Mm -hmm. some sort of bullet wounds on their hands to cover themselves, and he had no such wounds. So it's either that he... Didn't see the person and didn't have time, perhaps, or maybe it was somebody he knew and so he wasn't on edge, you know?
0: Yeah, but if it's someone you know below you.
1: Still, even as, I mean, I guess it would be really hard to see the gun coming if they're on the ground. It sounds like he was ambushed. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing for sure, for a man who seemed universally beloved, not everyone loved Robert Lamone. Now it was up to Detective Meyer and his colleagues to find out who that person, or people, were. Sabrina had an alibi as she was visiting with her sister and mother at the time of the murder. The investigators meticulously combed through security footage provided by BNSF and the nearby buildings. But all of the leads came to standstills. They dug deeper into Sabrina and Robert's marriage especially after forensically going through Rob's phone and finding some pictures of topless women who were decidedly not Sabrina. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Dude. <laughs> I can't believe people, like, leave this shit on their phones. Oh, my God. I have some ridiculous stuff on my phone. It's not, like, other dudes' dicks or anything. No,
0: though. but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it's, like, I, I I mean, it's, like, where else do you put it, I guess? But, like... I don't know. It's just –
1: The stuff that's been uploaded to the cloud, there has to be like a hundred different versions of my boobs, which (laughs) I'm really, really glad I'll have later on in life.
0: I I think I've seen a hundred different pictures of (laughs) you alone, so the cloud has to see more.
1: You absolutely (laughs) have. I can't wait for you to come visit. You'll get to see them in person. IRL. (laughs) Andy never likes it. I just force it upon her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: during interviews with the police sabrina emphatically denied any infidelity on either side of the marriage when confronted with the existence of the topless photos sabrina claimed that the women in the photos were actually her friends
0: like and she knew that they were sending huh okay
1: so the plot thickens this mystified the officers who pushed for more information. Of I'm sure for the investigation and for themselves. Like, Tell me more. We're listening. Nice. <laughs> nice. They we're take gonna,
0: a second. We're going to need them to come down here so we can identify them. Exactly. Ladies, please take off your shirts. Yes. We're
1: going to need a lineup. <laughs> So she claimed that they used to be big time partiers and that they would have adults only river or lake parties because they owned a boat and there there was plenty of booze. And sometimes the gals would just lose their tops to the delights of their husbands. So it was a bunch of couples just having a wild time and it appeared that most of the photos were not like selfies, that they were like girls gone wild style topless photos. Okay. I think there were some selfies too, but this was the majority was like, like flashing pictures almost. Yeah. So she, she said that it was nothing crazy. She denied any sort of swinging, swapping or open relationship. She claimed that they just liked to have a good time and they just were not the jealous types. And liked boobies. Apparently really (laughs) liked boobies. I mean, they got married a little young. I wonder if this was like, she went through a very late girls gone wild face. She's like, I never got to go to Mardi Gras, so here are my boobs. We just have our own Mardi Gras every year on a river. Exactly. (laughs) So the investigators left it at that and took her at her word, but secretly they felt there was definitely more to the story. (laughs) (laughs) Their instincts would be spot on. It wouldn't be completely revealed until much later in the case, but Robert and Sabrina had been involved in swinging for years. There had been a couple years back with children around the same age as the Limones who had entered into an arrangement with a couple for months, if not years. They actually met this other couple when the two oldest kids, like their kids and um, Robbie, were around five years old and on the same Pee Wee baseball league. You have to be kidding. I mean, that's – I was like, you don't even find these people online or like at a swingers club. You like – Are at a peewee game? How do you figure that out? Is there like a special like swingers wink and handshake?
0: (laughs) Has to be. Guys, swingers,
1: they walk among us. They're at your kids peewee baseball game and you don't even know it.
0: Also, the limones sound like such a good time.
1: They do. They sound like a party. And yeah, they have a boat. They love to drink. They're like down for a little something something all the time. They do. They sound like a party. Oh, my God. I can't imagine
0: how, like, bored some parents have to be at that peewee game. And then.
1: Yeah, I'd have to be real bored to start being like, hmm, who would I like to bone? Which parent, as they're, like, feeding their child orange slices, being like, I'd like those fingers somewhere. Like, really? What were those, like, um
0: juices that were in the little squirty <laughs> things called like a capri sun <laughs> i like it if he'd like... me like a capri sun <laughs> mm, look at him hand that caprice sun to his kid <laughs> i think people are just a lot hornier than we are then if they're thinking about this all the time huh also i think a lot of people got married a lot younger
1: than we did too yeah, we were we were well into our 30s. I guess I was 29, but I don't know if it counts because I didn't have a wedding until I was 31.
0: Yeah, no, because yeah. you guys got married in secret, so
1: that wasn't yeah. really Yeah. That doesn't count. <laughs> we just wanted our anniversary to be the same time we exactly met. <laughs> we pulled it off. So the arrangement and the relationship between the two couples had fallen apart after Sabrina and the other wife had a falling out. Oh. Yeah. Eventually, the other couple divorced. Uh, So it seems to me like maybe the other couple was kind of do a last ditch, like spark up the marriage. And those things don't usually work out as far as saving the marriage. I think we've said it on a previous episode, but (laughs) the fact remains that a threesome and a baby, neither will fix your marriage. Both things people have to fix their marriage and they do not. However... The experience had titillated the limones, and later Sabrina would – What? Are you laughing at titillated? Yeah, you just slid that in there like it was nothing with our titty (laughs) story? Correct word for the situation. I didn't even do that on purpose.
0: Well, that's sad. That should have definitely (laughs) been intentional titillation.
1: Uh, I'm so embarrassed for myself. (laughs) (laughs) That was was definitely – Freudian. So, it was a Freudian yeah, slip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And later, Sabrina would claim that Rob especially didn't want to leave the fun swinging lifestyle after they had opened up their marriage. So they began drinking more heavily and engaging in different sexual acts with like minded friends during those weekend trips without the kids. By now, the Limones owned a boat, like I said, named the Limone Tree, which is cute. And they would go up to Lake Havasu or to the Colorado River. To catch booze soaked sunburns and pieces of ass. I like the first part of that. The sunburn? <laughs> the booze. Yeah, booze soaked sunburns. Booze-soaked, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had a good looking, hard partying group of friends called the Wolf Pack. Which is just overdone. Stop calling your friend group the Wolfpack, guys. It died in the early 2000s. Yeah. Who would join them on these excursions and occasionally in the bedroom as well. Mm. So it was two of these so-called Wolfpack friends, Rob and Sabrina's best friends, who would actually give the investigators the tip they needed to set them on the right path and eventually blow the whole case open. Blow it out of the water, guys. (laughs)
0: blow it out of of that
1: lake (laughs) blow blow it out of lake havasu Uh, so their names were kelly and jason Bernatine. so 90s jason and kelly that's like that's very 90210 yeah or uh saved by the bell either way I,
0: i think i think 90210
1: yeah very 90210 yeah so kelly first met sabrina in 2007 when she came into kelly's hair salon as a referral They quickly became friends, and after a few months, Kelly introduced Jason to Robert, and the men also hit it off. The women were especially close, two outgoing blondes who loved throwing back some drinks and getting wild with their husbands. When the couples weren't hanging out together, Sabrina spent hours in Kelly's salon chair, the two women talking, laughing, gossiping, confiding. In the fall of 2012, Sabrina told Kelly she was ready for a change. With both kids back in school, Sabrina went back to work. She donned a red apron and handed out food samples at Costco in Victorville. The job demanded about 20 hours a week, allowing her time to get the kids off to school and pick them up. And it fit her people person personality. Sabrina called herself a sample girl and was excited to be back working and to have money on her own. She was so friendly. Some customers came into the store just to talk to her and left without buying anything. Mm -hmm. Around December of 2012, a young firefighter became just one of those customers. So she, Sabrina ended up mentioning this young firefighter guy to Jason and Kelly because Jason was also a firefighter, so she thought that they might know each other. The young guy was named John, and eventually Jason placed him in his memory as a 21-year-old who he had worked for very briefly. So he was a, a super young guy who was training to be a paramedic, and he he liked him. He said he was an up-and-coming smart guy in the, the fire station. About three months after Sabrina mentioned him, the group of friends actually ran into Jonathan at a bar called Beef O'Brady's. Oh, wow. Wow, that is a pubby name. Beef O'Brady's. It was like a a sports pub type place.
0: Yeah, like a Daisy Buchanan's.
1: Oh, R.I.P. Daisies. (laughs) Kelly took a photo of Sabrina embracing Jonathan that night and uploaded it to Facebook. And we'll definitely put this image of Sabrina and Jonathan up on the Facebook. He is going to be huge in this story, and this is the first known photo of the two of them. And she just looks ecstatic to be with him, and he looks so young. It looks like he's—I think he's like 22 in the picture, and he looks like even younger. He just looks like this, like. Sweet little angel baby. He's not super tall, but on the the normal average tallish height, he's kind of lanky, dark hair. Later, it's discovered he's like, I think only like 155 pounds tops. He just looks very unassuming and sweet. Where's Rob? He's still – he's at that party. Like, they're all okay. at the bar together. Okay. So cool. he knew it. And so she, like, came over and she, like, said hi to him. I think everybody is drinking. And it's, like, a place where you would run into your friends. It was marked as kind of like a, oh, she knows him from Costco. Not like a who's this guy situation. Got it. At okay, first. Cool. Like, Kelly said that – at first, she didn't think anything of this relationship. And even that night, she didn't. She, like, uploaded it to Facebook because she thought it was a good picture of Sabrina. Yeah. And she thought that their relationship was totally innocent. And she said that Sabrina was always super friendly and outgoing. And she could be occasionally flirty, but it was nothing over the line. And also, obviously, her and Robert had their own arrangement. So it it two outsiders, especially ones that knew that they were, you know, not jealous and open-minded – It wasn't wasn't hitting any alarm bells that night, you know? So, yes, the Bernatines later actually find out that this did bother Rob, which surprised them because not much did. But apparently Rob did notice what was going on and he didn't like the attention that John was paying his wife. Mm -hmm. And Sabrina and him argued that night about it. And Sabrina said, there's no way he's interested in me because he was only 22 and she was 33 at the time. So she's like, I'm way older than him. So? You know, he's a young guy. He's not interested in me, which of course means nothing. No. Yeah. Yep. And after that happened, Jonathan started reaching out to Jason because they had each other's phone numbers through the fire station. Okay. And he started, like, texting him and being like, it was so great to run into you. Like, your friends seem really great. I'd like to get to know them better. I'd like, you know, to run into you guys more often. Like, maybe we can all be friends. So, of course, Jason thought this was super weird. And he mostly ignored Jonathan's text. Then, and this is, this account is from Jason, who told it to Michael Fleeman. One day in the spring of 2013, Jason got the strangest text yet from Jonathan. Hey, Jason, I need your buddy Rob's phone number. Call me. Jason dialed Jonathan's number and asked, hey, Jonathan, what's up? Why do you need Rob's phone number? Jonathan didn't answer right away. Then Jason put it together. Do you have something going on with Sabrina? Jonathan gave what Jason would later call a song and dance and hemmed and hawed. It's not like that, Jonathan said. We are just friends. Then he added, she's really important to me. Jason lost it. He started yelling at Jonathan. That's my best friend's wife and you need to leave us alone. At the time of the phone call, Jason was doing work on a new house he purchased. He was putting up drywall. Helping him was Robert Lamone. An enraged Jason gave Robert the phone. Dude, I don't know what's up, but I have Jonathan Hearn on the phone and he wants to talk to you and I think it's something bad. Robert's response surprised him. I know, he said. He wasn't mad. He seemed resigned. Robert took the phone outside and he spoke to Jonathan for what seemed like a half hour. Jason couldn't hear what he was saying, but surprisingly, Robert didn't appear angry. It looked to him more like he was trying to work out a problem. When Robert ended the call and gave the phone back to Jason, he explained that Sabrina and Jonathan had still been seeing each other at Costco. They had developed some sort of intellectual relationship, as Robert called it. It had turned emotional. Robert knew this because he had recently looked at Sabrina's cell phone and found page after page of messages from Jonathan saying, I love you. Shit. At the time, Robert erupted and smashed Sabrina's phone, but they made up, and Robert said that Jonathan was calling to apologize for his behavior and to assure him that he wouldn't have anything to do with Sabrina again. Jason wasn't so sure. Do we need to do something about this, he asked Robert. No. It's handled, Robert said. He asked Jason not to tell any of their other friends about the matter. Poor Robert. I know. He sounds, I mean, other than the phone smashing, which I think is, you know, an emotional response. Of course. He sounds like a really even keeled dude. I also think that when you're in that type of relationship where you guys give each other a lot of leeway as a couple to experiment, when somebody starts doing something behind your back, it's even more of a slap in the face.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more.
1: So nearly a year went by, and the Bernatines believed that the matter was behind the Lamones. But one day, Kelly went to Costco to pick up a prescription for Jason, and she saw Sabrina and Jonathan looking very, very cozy while Sabrina was on her break. That's fucked up. Super fucked. Um, So Jason had just had surgery, so she was, like, going to get him his pain pills, so he was in the car waiting and like kind of sleeping it off when she got back in the car and she told Jason who called Jonathan right away, even though he had just said surgery and told him in very clear language to stay the F away from Sabrina. So Robert had been murdered not long after that, after this Costco run in, Jason didn't think anything of it. Both he and Kelly helped arrange the funeral and to go fund me for Sabrina. And they even spoke at Rob's service But two weeks after the murder, Jason received bizarre rambling voicemails from Jonathan saying he had heard about Rob's murder and that he wanted to apologize to Jason and Kelly for his prior wrongs. Weird. Yeah, super weird. So what he said on these voicemails was the following. Jonathan said it hardly seemed like a year and a half had passed since he subjected the Bernatines to my pride and my arrogance, my selfishness. He said he'd never considered their feelings and he'd never properly apologized. I did talk to Robert and I was able to apologize to him. And that was something that was, I was certainly hoping he forgave me, said Jonathan. But I just realized now life is so short and I'm shaky right now. And I'm sorry. He ended the message by saying, I would really like to talk to you and a final sigh. I'm at work today, but tomorrow I'm off and I don't know if there'd be a time where I'd really like to either take you guys to dinner or meet with you and your wife, and I need – God needs me to have a clear, and I want to want to fix this with you. So if you could give me a call back, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That the sounds
0: voicemail. the way – like, you know when now that on your phone, like your your phone will like try to transcribe – a voicemail to you, and it like yeah. doesn't make sense. That's what it like. It reads the way that you read one
1: of those. Like it's yeah, so exactly. Yeah. The voicemail floored Jason. There was no way he was going to take Kelly to dinner with this nut job. So Jonathan followed up the creepy voicemail with a text. Jason, I hope my message doesn't make you angry. I cannot imagine what you and Kelly are going through right now. God has used this as a wake up call for me, though, and I need to make things right. Thank you. Jason sent him a terse reply. I got your message. I do not want to talk to you right now. Okay, Jason. He texted back. I fully understand. Please forgive my timing. This is so overwhelming. Thank you for getting back to me. Please know that I beg your forgiveness. And then he sent another text. It's not looking good for Jonathan. No. Ooh, it's guilty rambling Yeah, is what he's it looking
0: is. like a, like Desperate
1: hmm Jason, I have been feeling awful bad about what a dirtbag I was and how disrespectful I was of you and your wife. And as I realize how short life is, I am so inspired to live life without sins or regrets. I know that there is so much that you are dealing with right now and I don't want to intrude or upset you in the midst of your pain. So could I ask for your mailing address? Can I please write a letter of apology and send it to you so that you can read it in your own timing? Life is so short. I want to have a conscience that is clear of offenses. Jason, thank you. Last time I talked to you this much, it was to selfishly work my way into your group of friends to be closer to Sabrina. It was selfish and evil and stupid. I won't use you for that ever again by God's grace. I need to stand alone and live for God. R will be my forever reminder of this.
0: Weird.
1: Weird. And Jason thought so too, because he immediately found the business card from the detective and was like, I've got a lead for you. This guy is real weird. And we think he's having an affair with Sabrina. Whoa. Yep. So Jason and Kelly spilled everything that they knew about Sabrina and Jonathan to the police. Outwardly, they remained supportive of Sabrina, but they were both getting deeply suspicious of the widow and the young firefighter, especially when Kelly noticed Jonathan's truck parked in Sabrina's driveway only weeks after the murder. And Jason received a psychotic rambling letter from John that meandered from God's will to Robert being like a sign of God's will somehow to forgiveness and like the Christian Concept of forgiveness. Weird. Nearing the end of September, Kelly spotted a motorcycle with the word forgiveness painted on the gas tank parked outside of Sabrina's house. Like
0: air spray painted? Yep,
1: exactly. <laughs> a little tacky. Uh, that's right.
0: I mean, yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she jotted down the license plate and passed it on to the cops. Kelly also confirmed the investigator's suspicions that the couple were swingers or had been swingers, rather. Though she only mentioned that the Limones had been swingers with the previous couple. And she did not mention her and her own husband's involvement with the Limones. And the cops were Kind of suspicious of the Bernatines, not in the murder, but like about the swinging because there was topless photos of Kelly Bernatine on Robert's phone. So nonetheless, they began investigating this new player to the story, young firefighter Jonathan Hearn. So let's talk Jonathan. He was born the second oldest of six kids to a devoutly Christian family in Hesperia, California. Uh, They were homeschooled with a Christian faith education by their mother, Carol, and their father, Mike, who owned a construction company. Jonathan was a bright kid. While being homeschooled through high school, he also took junior college-level courses in construction tech and firefighting. He was described by people who knew him as smart, friendly, and very sheltered. In his early 20s when he had met Sabrina, Jonathan hadn't had much experience with women and not a single serious girlfriend to his family's knowledge. The cops found both the pickup truck and motorcycle licensed to Jonathan. What's more is that a search of a database turned up a license for a 45 caliber pistol, the uh, same caliber weapon that was used in the murder. Uh-huh. They're getting a good suspect. So the police poured back over several buildings worth of security footage and discovered a man on a motorcycle – that fit the description of Jonathan's <laughs> coming to and from the crime scene.
0: All right. Did it also say forgiveness?
1: Um, I think that the it was too grainy to tell exactly. But I think later I'll tell you. So they end up tracing all of this footage, which I think is so fascinating when they do. There's an investigation discovery show called See No Evil where they catch killers based on security footage. So cool. But they they do this stuff that's so cool that they take the direction of where like the car or the motorcycle or the person is going, and then they stop and they get all of the building's security footage and literally put together a patchwork video of the whole ride. So cool! It's so cool, and Wait, so they it's called that. "See No Evil." "See No Evil" uh, is the ID show. It should be called "See Evil" if they're catching <laughs> <cars>. <laughs> I this. I think it should, too. Come on, guys. Um, yeah, because it's seeing evil. I think it's the play on the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no I evil mean, I mean, I, I get it. You get it, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so using that type of technology, they traced him back to a gas station where he stopped so they could kind of get a better view. And it, it is definitely the same motorcycle. Mm-hmm. busted busted and he didn't take off his helmet but they had they had the indoor footage too cuz he goes into the gas station and he buys a water and a Gatorade and so his helmet's still on but they can see he has the same exact build it's like the same height it looks like his body you know so obviously this was enough to be granted a search warrant to gain access to his and Sabrina's phone records they meticulously cataloged the communications in a spreadsheet, obviously focusing on just Sabrina and Jonathan. Calls and texts to Sabrina's known cell number and landline stopped in April 2014, but a new strange number picked up in their place. From August 1st to August 16th, 2014, which was the day before Robert was killed. There were 1,902 text messages between Jonathan's cell phone and this new number, which that's like over about two weeks. That's an average of more than 100 messages a day.
0: I mean, how many do you think that we send each other a day?
1: Oh, I bet it's like 50, right? Do you think it's up to 100?
0: I don't know. I'm like always really shook when I'm looking back for
1: something with you. (laughs) It's so much. (laughs) I know. We just text about trivial things, though. We're not planning murders. No. I mean, I bet no. we would get up to 100 to, like, okay. 400 if we were planning a murder. Uh,
0: <laughs> you always have these murder hypotheticals that, like,
1: for when yeah. we're going to murder someone, we could probably get up to 400, 400 a day. Text. Well, we need to. I mean – We're barely running this podcast, let alone preparing a murder. (laughs) I'm shocked with how many texts
0: I've had to send in the past week about logistics for COVID traveling.
1: Yeah, it's probably – I realized just talking to you about your plans and the few people that were supposed to be involved with our Thanksgiving plans, I've probably logged like two to three hours a day on your travel plans. (laughs) So yeah this is this sounds like you know on the low end for planning a murder actually yeah jonathan really should have stepped it up a notch well maybe he wouldn't have gotten caught if they had maybe maybe i don't know
0: smoke signals next time jonathan yeah (laughs) carrier pigeon
1: (laughs) (laughs) there was also 117 multimedia messages which were obviously an exchange of photos how many which 117 but you know those are probably boob selfies <laughs> I don't think that's murder planning I think that's just reminding him what he's in it for Yeah but that's in like a week That's in 2 weeks I definitely don't I definitely don't send you 117 photos in 2 weeks <laughs> Like you might actually send me 117 photos of your cat I I would but I don't have enough time for that <laughs> Andy sends me more pictures of Quincy, her cat, than I think I send her of my two-year-old. I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> in his defense, he is covered in super soft fur. He is very cute. But Alden's also your goddaughter. <laughs> I think I think I'll have to start sending you more. Maybe it's on me. Maybe I'm just not sending enough.
0: I think every time I send you Quincy, that's like, hello.
1: Where's okay. My from picture? now on, every time you send a cat photo, I'll return with a toddler photo. I mean, I and then that- it officially becomes the least sexy text exchange in the entire world.
0: No, I think that's in a few months.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Back to the story. Oh. <laughs> oh. <Aww. laughs> this is a cat and toddler podcast. And on August 17th, the day of the murder, there was a flurry of phone calls and texts between Jonathan's phone and the mystery number. His phone got texts from 126 in the afternoon to 5.04 p.m., then a gap until 6.57 p.m., which the absence covered the time when Robert was murdered. Then Jonathan's cell and this other phone exchanged voice calls at 7.50 and 8.37 p.m., followed by more than 50 text messages that went all night until 6.48 the next morning. Whoa. Yep. For all of August, Jonathan and the mystery number exchanged nearly 2,500 texts and 120 voice phone calls. In all likelihood, the burner was being used by Sabrina, obviously. Duh. And there'd be one way to find out. The police were allowed to wiretap their phones.
0: Shit. Okay, but like, wait. So she's still using the burner?
1: Yeah, she's still using the burner. Oh my
0: God, what an idiot.
1: Amateur It's called a burner. You burn it even Barb from Amish knew to toss those
0: phones and just so you know I'm not being literal you don't light it on fire Sabrina (laughs) (laughs) just in case you need to hear that
1: well I think that ship has sailed (laughs) your advice is well meant but I think that ship has sailed oh god um so the police immediately get a warrant to start tapping the phones. It takes, I think, somewhere around three weeks to four weeks for them to get everything set up. That's but crazy. That's way too that, long. <laughs> well it takes a while. I mean it's they legally have to jump through some hoops to be able to legal like listen in on these people. And then I don't know what steps it takes to tap a cell phone, but it seems like it'd be pretty hard. So once they do, they're plunged into the intimate CD and hypocritical world of John and Sabrina. For the next couple weeks, the detectives listened in as the two discussed their love for each other, their love for God, and spoke in code about the murder. The cops would feed Sabrina specific pieces of information to see what she would tell Jonathan, and here's an example. So all of the wiretap conversations come from Michael Fleeman's book. So when I read sections of the wiretap, that's where they're coming from.
0: Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael.
1: On the morning of Sunday, November 9th, Meyer sent Sabrina a text message to call him, then waited to see what she did. She immediately called Jonathan on her burner phone. I just got a text message from Detective Meyer, and he asked me to call him. Oh, great, said Jonathan. He did not sound like it was great. I I just wanted you to pray, said Sabrina. God, please help us, Jonathan prayed. Help Sabrina to have the right words. The prayer was interrupted by one of Sabrina's children in the background trying to get her attention. You have to give mommy a few minutes for an important phone call, she said. Go watch the movie, whatever's on, just relax. Then to Jonathan, she said, I'm sorry. We have a purpose, we have a vision, Jonathan's prayer continued. Please keep Sabrina's calmness and clarity of thought to not give too much information that doesn't need to be shared. God, please help, please give us wisdom, amen. Amen," said Sabrina. "I love you," said Jonathan. "I love you too." I don't think
0: God is going to help you with your fucking murder plot.
1: No. This is not what God is about. He's not like, "Hey, oh look, there's a there's a 5-year-old with leukemia who's over there, you know? There's, you know, somebody who's struggling in the aftermath of a hurricane. Let me let me go help some adulterers who murdered. Let me answer that prayer." Oh, oh, what do I see there? I see the
0: motorcycle with air painted forgiveness on the side.
1: That I gotta my mind. <laughs> Just bumped him right up the list.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think it, you're high on his list of priorities right now. As the police closed in on the two and Detective Meyer asked Sabrina to come in for subsequent interviews, the couple became increasingly anxious and their conversations became centered around the case and God's plan. It gets more ridiculous. Does it get more gaudy? It, oh, it gets a lot more gaudy here. So, this <laughs> is on Tuesday, November 11th. God is in control, said Jonathan. He knows, he knows, he knows. I know our hearts are so heavy. It's tough thinking of the truth of our affair coming out. It's insult to injury. It's pain on top of pain. It would be devastating, not for us as much as for everybody else. I know there's this burden, this fear of us being in the spotlight. God is on the throne. God is sovereign, and God wants us to reflect His light and radiate Him. Jonathan ended the call with a prayer. Please let that this wasn't burden- a prayer. <laughs> This is more of a prayer. These two talk about God more than theology students. Please lift the burden off of our heart, he said. We have cheated. We have lied. God, please help our story be one of redemption and not of failure. In another call 90 minutes later, Jonathan called Sabrina, such a blessing from God. You are such a strong girl. I just admire your strength and fortitude. Sabrina spoke about how her life had changed since Robert's death. It's not about me, she said. God is giving me the strength to see things that I need to see. God is giving me the strength to not just be out there partying. To have known that, that is not what I want. We were wrong for being so distracted by so many ungodly things. She ruminated over whether Robert's death was part of a larger plan by God. Robert's not here, she said. Why? Why? It doesn't feel real. Then she said that instead of asking God why, she should be asking him to use me, use me. I want to be used, Jonathan said. Whatever God wants me for. I just want to focus on God. Get rid of the distractions. This will be his testament. God does have purpose. I know. It's so crazy to me, said Sabrina. She wondered what would have happened if Robert survived the shooting. He wouldn't want to be in a wheelchair just breathing through or or not being able to get up. He would not. I just, I think about that all of the time. I think I would have taken care of him. I would have. I know you would have, said Jonathan. I would have as his wife, she said. As his wife, there are certain honors I owe him, just the title of being his wife. She recalled something Robert told her shortly before his murder. Sabrina, if I died tomorrow, I would die happy. Sabrina said, the timing is crazy. That's where I have peace. It's just so creepy to me. The timing, it's so creepy. It's unreal. It doesn't feel real. It feels like the purpose that he left was part of God's plan. No. God's plan was not for you to murder your husband.
0: Also, like, your role and responsibility as a wife is to not
1: murder your partner. Yeah, I think that's the unspoken rule. There's a lot of other ones about, you know, respecting and loving and caring for them, but I think not murdering them goes pretty much at the top. What um what's the actual definition of fortitude? Having strength and determination in the face of incredible odds. I feel like that's just such a great like
0: description for a murderer, you know. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> she's you have such fortitude ah <laughs> oh, just such a great girl you have such fortitude
0: god's plan to me for me to arrange a murder of my husband so i can sleep with this 22 year old
1: oh that i met at costco so it's clear to the police by this point that sabrina and jonathan are using their affair as code word for the murder like when they're talking about You know, we don't want to – they're basically saying they don't want to reveal their affair. That means that they are justifying not going to the police and talking about this honestly. They're saying it would just hurt more people if it got out, you know. So the affair and the murder are kind of interchangeable. They also, as you've noticed, (laughs) seem to be attempting wildly to justify their actions as God's plan. You think Yeah. Sin killing (laughs) redemption. Their conversations had gotten deeper. It so happened that among those monitoring the call was Jay Both, a special agent for the Drug Enforcement Agency and a graduate of Brigham Young University where he studied the Old and New Testaments of the Bible and taught Bible classes. So he knew what the F was going on in these conversations. And they often bring up the story of David and Bathsheba so he explained to Meyer detective Meyer the significance of the story of David and Bathsheba and its relevance to the murder investigation David had slept with Bathsheba while her husband Uriah was still alive and gotten her pregnant hoping to cover up the pregnancy David brought Uriah home from the war in the hopes that he would sleep with her but Uriah, a man of strong character, refused to do so while other men were risking their lives in battle. So that's when an angry David sent Uriah off to the front to be killed. Afterwards, Bathsheba went into a period of mourning. When that ended, David brought her to his house and she bore him a son. It was Agent Bolt's opinion that by citing the story, Jonathan was admitting to the murder of Robert Lamone to cover up the affair with Sabrina. And in the end, David is just rewarded in the Bible. There's no punishment for whatever reason. Because he has a son. yeah. So yeah. So this is this is what they're they're kind of using as their example and their way to justify what they're doing on psychos. several occasions. Total psychos. Uh, Sabrina discussed how Rob's short life moved people, and that divorce was not God's will after all. Everything worked out for the best. In fact, Robert was truly better off dead, which is where author Michael Fleeman got the title of the book. During this period, the police brought her in and pressed on her again. So they know all of this. They're listening to everything. So they keep, like, bringing her back in and giving her different information to see what she's going to do with it. (laughs) Again, she vehemently denied the Lamone's open marriage and her own ongoing affair. So at this point, they told Sabrina that they were testing DNA of sweat samples found at the scene. This, (laughs) she's like, be funny about it. Got the couple sweating. And also got the sample girl sweating. Oh, I didn't even think of that one. It's a double pun. Wow, we've reached new heights or lows, depending on how you look at it. I think lows. Lows. Uh, which is probably right next to the Costco. <laughs> got it. Okay, these are wow. some mom jokes. Real mom jokes. Total right mom jokes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they ended up talking about this at length on the recorded phone calls. And within 10 minutes of Sabrina informing John of the DNA company, because when the police talked to Sabrina, they were like, it's going to be this company. They're amazing. Uh, They do the the most high-tech DNA work. We're definitely going to find this person if he's out there. It's just a sample. You're super good at this. You do this for your job. (laughs) You understand samples. So immediately within 10 minutes of Sabrina getting off the phone with them, John is Googling this cyber genetics company and the DNA process. So his browser history would later be used in evidence that they're in cahoots here. The police did not, in fact, have a sweat sample. They just wanted to see how Sabrina and John would react. For their next act, Detective Meyer called (laughs) Sabrina to inform her that an anonymous tipster had pointed to a possible suspect. He was like, so we got this really good tip. And the guy says that it's somebody named John. He's a white male who's, you know, tall, thin, maybe on the younger side. Uh, do you know anyone who would fit that description? And Sabrina was like, no, no. And then she was like, actually, um, hold on, let me think. And then she threw out the name of another co-worker of Robert's who kind of matched the description. So she's Cheeky. trying to throw this random dude under the bus. And so as soon as she got off the phone with them, she completely panicked so they're like dropping this information and then like getting on the wiretap and listening and she immediately calls jonathan she's totally panicking and the two are just like who do you think it could be they're trying to figure out who the anonymous tipster was and they landed mostly correctly on kelly bernatine so they were like yeah that bitch was the one who turned us in
0: Yeah, I was going
1: to. So the police then sent Sabrina a short video clip of the security video from the gas station that showed Jonathan on his bike. This is so fun. They must have been having such a good time doing this.
0: I mean, obviously, like, you need to be serious because they, like, need to find. But, like, this, I mean, she's just running around like a chicken with her head cut off. And
1: they're just fucking with them. Yeah. So Detective Myers like, oh, great news. We have a break in the case. We got this footage of the guy. Breaking Do you think news. it's that guy, John? And she's like, no. And then he's like, okay, great news. Great news. We got this video. Okay, we're going to release it to the media and we're going to put it all over your market, our market, because she didn't live in Tehachapi. So we're going to put it in Tehachapi. We're going to put it in Helendale, Silver, Silver Lakes area. Maybe we'll spread it out to LA. We are gonna, We are going to find this guy. Just wanted to let you know. It's great news. And she's like, Great, super. <laughs> so, of course, she immediately calls John. They're freaking out, and they prayed, they cried. They Jonathan railed against the unjust system, oh, and God. then he prayed that he would find a good lawyer. <laughs> so, this is from the wiretaps as well. Dear God. <laughs> Dear, dear God, please please send me a lawyer. Not one of the ones from the billboards, but like a really good one. Just send him to me. Could you send him maybe tonight at 6 p.m.? I, I'll be home by then. Could you just put him on my doorstep? Thank you. Amen. <laughs> so, so Jonathan started praying and looking for an attorney, and he said he would text the information to Sabrina. I want us to be on the same page, he said. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I may have to move some money around. I might not have a whole lot of liquid funds, said Jonathan. I hate to do this. I hate to ask this. But if you think there's a couple of thousand, if I can have a little of yours. Absolutely, of course. I don't know how much you have or if you have much. I have life insurance. She had recently deposited a check for more than $300,000. The payout on Robert's life insurance. What a little bitch. So she is going to pay for her murderous lover's lawyer from her husband who they killed life insurance money that is evil but you know what god would
0: think it was okay
1: (laughs) that's what they in his plan (laughs) it was was in his plan that i had three hundred thousand dollars like I didn't even know how much life insurance we had. I was like, I, I really could use three hundred thousand dollars, and then God just gave it to me. Yeah,
0: it was like I had bills that were like two hundred and ninety five thousand dollars, <laughs> and then Robert just suspiciously died from head trauma, and all of a sudden,
1: <laughs> all of a sudden, there we go. I didn't even know what life insurance was. I didn't even know, and oh, he had. Oh my it. gosh, and God sent me this twenty two year old guy who wants to be a stepdad. So God's plan.
0: Hashtag God's Hashtag land.
1: God's plan. Hashtag blessed. <laughs>
0: oh my
1: God. I appreciate that, Jonathan said. That's a big relief for me. There's a lot of sleazy lawyers out there. We do have a story and I want it to be well represented. I love you so much. Ugh. I love you too, she said. I have to go be safe. They had one more phone conversation that morning. It ended the way so many others had. I love you, Sabrina. I love you, Jonathan. <laughs> The next morning, on Tuesday, November 18th, 2014, Jonathan Hearn was arrested at his fire station. Good. uh. Mm -hmm. I think they were like, okay, let's done. This is the cat playing with the mouse before it eats them. You know, it's like, we've got enough. Let's just get him.
0: Cat's definitely out of the bag by now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. After searching Jonathan's home, they found the motorcycle, a forty-five believed to be the murder weapon, and later confirmed with ballistics. The clothes he was wearing on the security footage, love notes from Sabrina, and framed photos of Sabrina and her children. Like he had a, just a framed photo of her kids. So that weird. is so weird. So creepy. So, You're
0: so 22, creepy. 22. Go bang a bunch of
1: chicks. Like what are you doing? Yeah, why are you killing for a 33-year-old married lady with kids who, by the way, they already have a father. These kids, find a nice single lady with kids if, like, you want to be insta-daddy, you know? Yeah, and, like, they, his dad, the dad was a good guy. It wasn't like he was, like, beating the shit out of them or something. No, he was a great guy. Ugh, God, what a loser. That's unbelievable. So, Jonathan immediately requested an attorney, and the only thing he said on his way to jail to the officers was... I could have guessed this was coming. So Sabrina was also taken into custody. The officer who came to collect her at her children's elementary school notified her that John had been arrested for her husband's murder. She told him she couldn't imagine John being violent and then quietly asked if she could be booked for having an affair. The officer told her that he was unaware of any legal statutes that would allow him to detain her for having an affair. God's spanking me right now for sure. I feel it. She said oddly and I deserve it. God's spanking me. Like what is this God BDSM show? Like <laughs> maybe maybe that's part of their role play. It's such a yeah. weird thing to say to the officer who's coming to collect her. Yeah. God God is spanking me. He's like, yeah, uh, like I for sure feel it. Uh, like Okay. In the interview, Sabrina admitted to the affair as well as lying about the affair and the swinging to the police previously, but she still denied any knowledge of the murder. And she was still acting in disbelief that it was even Jonathan who committed the murder. She admitted that she had told Jonathan Robert's schedule, thus how John knew Rob would be alone in Tehachapi that day. But she said that it was so they could spend more time together on the phone without getting caught, not so he could murder him. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. After hours and hours of harsh interrogation and a night in jail, Sabrina finally admitted that she actually knew Jonathan killed Robert after the act was done. Sabrina was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder and accessory to murder. Yeah,
0: that's not how it works. You don't just do, like, process of elimination of lies. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'll take away that lie. I guess I'll take away that lie.
1: Well, no, it's, it's kind that of like when somebody's, like, caught cheating, and at first they're like, no, it's just, it's just, like, a, a work friend, and we went out for drinks, and so we got carried away. It's like, and then, and then the next version of the story is like, and then I crashed on her couch, and then I crashed in her bed, and then... <laughs> I crashed inside of her with my penis. (laughs) It's just layers of the truth coming out, you know. (laughs) On November 20th, 2014, the sheriff's office presented its case to the Kern County District Attorney. After reviewing the evidence, the DA decided to charge Jonathan with first-degree murder and conspiracy with the special circumstances of lying in wait and using a firearm. These enhancements would make him eligible for the death penalty. Oh, shit. At his first appearance in a Bakersfield courtroom, Jonathan stood and pleaded not guilty to all charges. He wore the paper clothing typically given to prisoners on suicide watch. News about Jonathan and Sabrina had reached the media and reporters were on hand for the court hearing. Outside, a sheriff's official answered questions. Jonathan Hearn had become involved in a romantic relationship with Sabrina Limone in the months leading up to Robert Limone's murder, Sheriff's spokesperson Ray Pruitt told reporters. The judge sent Jonathan back into custody at the central receiving facility in Bakersfield to await his next court date. Because of the severity of the charges, Jonathan was not eligible for bail. Sabrina Limone never made it to that court day. After reviewing the evidence against her, the Kern County District Attorney's Office declined to seek charges. What? hmm Nobody would say why. I can't comment on that because I cannot comment on the facts of the case, a prosecutor told the Victor Valley Daily Press. I have no comment as the case is pending. That was three no comments and one statement.
0: Whoa. Pruitt from the
1: sheriff's office would only say that the case was in their hands. The DA, not the sheriff's office. And he made no secret of the sheriff's disappointment in the lack of charges. We believe we developed probable cause to believe that Sabrina Limon was responsible for her husband's death and she had conspired with Hearn in the murder. Pruitt told the Daily Press, that's what led to arrest two days ago. So they were the sheriff's office and the detectives were very surprised that charges were not going to be against her
0: yeah that's crazy
1: Mm -hmm. and so when they did this press conference the sheriff also told the media that you know there was thousands of text messages exchanged between the two that it revealed that sabrina had told jonathan where her husband was working on the day of the murder and so people in the media are like wait a minute why are they going after her too you know whoa Yep. So this is splashed all over all of the local media, but it also made its way up to People Magazine, which aired an article with the title, California Firefighter Accused of Killing His Alleged Lover's Husband. So everybody is privy to every CD detail now. Robert's family was shocked. I mean, remember he had all of those big sisters? Yep. I would kill someone. With my bare hands, if they hurt my baby brother, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if, especially if it was the woman who had been to, you know, the last sixteen Christmases, who had been in my home, who gave birth to my niece and nephew. Yeah, you know, this it's so personal like if it was just like you know somebody was doing a robbery and killed him you can kind of reconcile that it still is crazy and painful of course but the fact that it's somebody that you know and love that he really knew and loved would feel like an extra death i feel like it would feel like he died all over again yeah that's terrible and also they're very confused about this affair because This is the first time that they're hearing or seeing Jonathan. And at the time, he's only 24 years old when he's being arrested. And like I said, he wasn't a particularly like big guy. So they're like, how could she go from our strapping, handsome brother who is like an adult to this kid and then hoodwink him into killing our brother? And now she's free. And now she's walking around free in this kid is in jail for the rest of his life and maybe going to get the death penalty so they they were just completely walloped by this and meanwhile the baby-faced murderer jonathan his lawyer was begging him to make a deal with the prosecution and turn on sabrina still in love with her jonathan really didn't want to do it i mean for months he really said no 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 but his lawyer believed that turning on Sabrina was the only way to save his life if this indeed was going to be a death penalty case. The case against him was airtight. There, he had no alibi. The wiretaps all looked bad. He had the murder weapon. He was caught on the security tape. And when they did more thorough searches of his property, it turned up even more evidence. Still, he wanted to shoulder the blame by himself until he received support from the most unlikely place, Robert's family.
0: I mean, this is crazy that if she doesn't get busted for this.
1: Right? If she got to just walk away and live her life, keep the insurance money and just walk away from this. So the sisters were real pissed and one of them and her husband wrote to John while he was in prison to encourage him to implicate Sabrina. Robert's sister, Christine, said, if Sabrina was involved, why do you want to take the fall yourself? She's just as much responsible. Why would you go to prison for the rest of your life when she's out walking free? Prison? Death? Yeah, worse. You might die. Oh my God. This reminds me of my dad when he gave me the sex talk and he was trying to tell me about STDs. And my mom is like trying to intervene by being like, Sex is a wonderful, natural thing if you're with the person you love. My dad's like, but yeah, now there's AIDS and you could die from sex. Death sentence. So I, I put a, a box of a hundred condoms in your bathroom. So if you're going to have sex, use a condom. And I'm like, I'm 12. I'm definitely not having sex. What is sex? What is sex? John was 10. It was our shared bathroom. Like we my brother was 10. We were 10 and 12. We were like, okay, like thanks. We used to make water balloons out of them because we didn't know what to do with a hundred condoms. Really, really slimy water balloons. <laughs> lubricated water balloons. It was lubricated. Really hard to catch. <laughs>
0: Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God.
1: Anyways, this was if he gets the death sentence, this is what my dad was talking about. Sex can lead to death. (laughs) Actually, every story we cover on this show is because somebody had sex. I think it's because everybody who dies on this show is because somebody had sex. Oh, I know. It's going to be a real
0: challenge to find like an asexual love murder case. Yeah. I just, I
1: think asexuals like are very underrepresented as murderers. They just, they have more ration. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So the letter also mentioned that while he had been locked up, Dale Smith, the husband of their former swinging partners, had been spotted at Sabrina's house several times. This is unbelievable. Yeah. She went back to the old, old guy. I mean, this is a long time. They were swinging. They started swinging in 2008. Actually, 2008 was when I think it might have ended with that couple. Your husband
0: is dead and your husband's murderer, who you conspired with, is in jail, potentially getting the death penalty. And you're banging some other swinger dude
1: with your kids around? She doesn't know how to be alone really, really badly. Do you think her and Dale talk about God? No. <laughs> I don't know. I think she's – like, my feeling is that she's one of those women who is, like, molds herself into whatever the guy wants.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because
1: it, it didn't seem like her and her husband were particularly religious. And all of a sudden this new guy comes along and – Well, she just wanted him to kill her husband, obviously. I think so too.
0: Yeah. Do other people not think so?
1: No. I just think that her – as you'll see, we'll get into the trial and what people think. And her motivations are just very nebulous. Like it never comes across that she wants the insurance money. It does come across that she loved Jonathan. So it seems like she she really did have feelings for this young guy, but as soon as he goes to jail, she turns around and she's with somebody else. So that it, it, that kind of muddies the waters, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So they said that they did this intentionally to poke the bear, so to speak. And Jonathan ended up writing them back about God and, of course, his favorite word, forgiveness. And he said that he would make sure that the whole truth came out because they were owed the whole truth. Yeah. So even though he didn't explicitly say that he was going to turn on Sabrina, he really started seriously considering it because he was now influenced less by like saving his own ass and more at the pain the family was feeling.
0: Yep. And
1: And he was like, know
0: about Dale too.
1: And he didn't know about Dale. So he's like, wait a minute. So yeah, so there's a very great rundown of, of him and his lawyer talking to the DA. So I'm going to read this selection um, from Better Off Dead. Cool. To make any sort of deal appealing to the DA, Jonathan would have to tell all about Sabrina. He can't go in there and tell part of the truth, said Campbell. Otherwise, the DA wouldn't have any use for him. Why would the DA cut him any slack for just being honest? So he needs to tell the whole truth which was difficult for Jonathan. His desire to confess was really because he wanted to come clean on what he did, the lawyer said. He's not the excuse-making type who says this is all Sabrina's fault. Jonathan was saying, I'm responsible for what I did. She's responsible for what she did. And so that was kind of a difficulty. How much of his testimony would necessarily implicate her and not just him? In the end, Jonathan concluded that Sabrina needed to admit what she did herself. And his attorney Campbell said, because that was the right thing to do. She obviously had no intention of coming forward, so Jonathan gave his lawyer the green light to approach the DA. As always, this was a delicate dance for a defense attorney. He had to maintain the client's total and complete innocence, while suggesting there may be room for an admission of guilt in exchange for leniency. To walk that fine line, Campbell would present a proffer, a detailed explanation of what Jonathan would theoretically say if given a deal. Prosecutor Smith was receptive. A framework for a deal took shape. The DA would get Jonathan's full and complete confession and all the dirt on Sabrina in exchange for a prison sentence that left room for parole one day. Ooh. The, yeah. Which seems like a good deal when the death sentence is on the line. Yep. The DA would also grant him immunity from additional prosecution, agreeing not to use against him anything he would say or police might find in the Limon investigation. Once we had this kind of an agreement for ground rules for the proffer, I had a meeting with the DA just in case they weren't satisfied, said Campbell. I wanted to give them everything we found so it wouldn't be used against him. So we would tell them everything that's on the flash drive, the password to Jonathan's phone. We gave them the silencer, the ammo receipt, everything that could possibly hurt us, we put it on the table. Yep. The DA accepted tentatively. After Jonathan coughed up the proffer, the DA checked it for accuracy, comparing his account against the known evidence, phone records, letters, photos, and security of videos, and of course, the wiretaps. Satisfied that Jonathan was telling the truth, the deal was sealed. Jonathan would plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter and other lesser charges for a sentence of 25 years and four months.
0: Whoa. What, know, what's that's, up with the four months? That's kind of random.
1: It's just how they do the math with all the various crimes, I guess. I yeah. think that they're probably doing the minimum sentence for all of the charges or something like that. Got it. Okay. With credit for time served and good behavior, he could be out in time to celebrate his 50th birthday. All he had to do was testify against Sabrina. So he's ready to talk now. And boy, does he talk. Uh, So he spoke for hours on end. I mean, they said they had like 150 pages of exactly how everything went down his affair the murder plots more than one there had been an attempt on robert's life before which we'll get into later wow so after they have all of the tea they can go for sabrina so during this period sabrina had been completely ostracized from her community of course duh And so she had moved to Camarillo, California, to have a fresh start near her sister, Julie. Which, if Camarillo sounds familiar to you, this is actually the hometown of our morally corrupt murderess, Celeste Beard, from episode sweet 16. Wait, that's her home? Yeah, that was her hometown. That's where she was born. Oh my gosh, hilarious. I love when we have, like,
0: weird little crossovers. She keeps coming up. She's had the most crossovers. Yeah, like three, I think.
1: Uh huh. So she was uh, living off of the life insurance, Sabrina, not Celeste. (laughs) But her too. (laughs) Yes, she was. So Sabrina's living off the life insurance, and she had also sold their house that was in Hallandale. And so she had all the proceeds from that. When on January 6th, 2017, a caravan of law enforcement came to arrest Sabrina. For six charges, ranging from first-degree murder, attempted murder, as well as accessory to murder after the fact. And there were some more. She didn't go far enough away. No, she didn't. They didn't need a plane to go get her. They could just caravan over there. Uh, so we're going to jump ahead now to the trial, which happens in like 10 additional months from this moment. Because that's where all the juicy details and shocking allegations were revealed. So hold on to your hats because this case is going to get swingier and murderier. (laughs) Murderier. Jury selection began for Sabrina's trial on August 28, 2017, three years and 11 days after Robert's murder. The media was mystified with the brand new attempted murder allegation that apparently had something to do with poisoning. Robert's family responded to inquiries the day after Jonathan's plea deal made headlines. In a press conference, Robert's sister, Chris Wilson, said, Just be patient. Everything will be revealed. This is a win for Robert today, she said. Her and sister Lydia Marrero by her side and supporters in Justice for Rob shirts behind them. We have asked for the truth to be told since August 2014, and it has finally been told. I don't care by who it has been told, but it's told. Sabrina's behind bars, maybe for the rest of her life, who knows. But she's going to have to sit there and think about what she has done. In light of Jonathan's plea deal, it seemed she was talking about him, and tellingly, neither sister mentioned him by name. They saved their anger for Sabrina. We have answers to the questions we were asking two and a half years ago that Sabrina and nobody else would give us, said Lydia. It's a shame that it breaks both sides of our family like this. I don't know how she can bring that kind of grief, disappointment, and embarrassment to her family, to our family, to all the friends that gathered that tried to sympathize with her in the past. The story she told, it just wasn't right. So the poisoning allegation finally was explained in the criminal complaint against Sabrina. It's said that in March 2014, Jonathan plotted with her to mix poison in food intended for Robert. Ugh. So horrible. So horrible. Court documents filed the following week filled in the details. Jonathan had put arsenic trioxide in a batch of Robert's favorite dessert, banana pudding with Neela wafers.
0: Um, that is so fucked. Fucked.
1: It is because that's like the sweetest dessert I've ever heard to be your favorite dessert. And somebody's going to put it in the banana pudding.
0: Yeah, vanilla wafers in like a murder plot just is not right.
1: No. (laughs) Sabrina was to give the pudding to her husband. We've got murder pudding. Murder pudding. (laughs) Murder quilt, murder pudding. pudding. Murder everything up in this piece. But the plan was abandoned at the last minute out of fear that they would get caught if the poison were found in Robert's system. The documents also added another shocker. Researching the effectiveness of the poison, Jonathan laced a piece of salmon with arsenic and gave it to an annoyingly barking neighborhood dog. Jonathan never saw the dog again.
0: That sick fuck.
1: I know. Just when we were kind of feeling bad for Jonathan, he's a dog murderer.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I know. Now we can't feel bad for him, even a little bit. I mean, he already killed a man. We weren't feeling bad for him. But to kill kill a dog on top of a guy? Also, what did that dog do? He just barked? That's what dogs do.
0: Yeah, this guy sucks.
1: He sucks. A murderous love triangle with poisoned murder pudding was too much for the news to resist the case got blanket coverage on Bakersfield television. Sabrina's lawyer Richard Terry got edgy about the publicity. None of it was good for his client. He asked the judge to move the trial because of the threat of a tainted jury pool. Oh, judge wow. Brownlee said no for now. He wanted to hear what the potential jurors had to say. And so after they interviewed over a hundred jurors and selected the the you know the jurors that would be used, they were like, nah, they're not a they're not tainted. so You're good. Sorry, bitch. (laughs) Yep, we're going to do it in this area and everybody knows who you are. Sorry. Fucking
0: banana pudding murderer.
1: Yeah, you banana pudding bitch. So the trial proceeded on September 11th, 2017. The prosecution's case was that Sabrina was equally responsible for the slaying of her husband as Jonathan was, that it was the intention of the murderous duo to replace the sinner. Robert, I say in quotations, with the God fearing Jonathan as partner to Sabrina and father figure to Robbie and Liana. Sabrina's defense attorney was attempting to make the case that Sabrina had been a vulnerable, dim witted dupe trapped in a sex fueled lifestyle yearning for a better path.
0: I like always love it when they like when the
1: how they spin this. Yeah. Yeah. And this let, me, was let me guess a- he's a male. Yes, that this was the case of a simple, outgoing woman who's a high school dropout, who was unhappy in her marriage, who fell under the evil spell of a highly intelligent killer who used romance and religion to suck her into a murder cover-up without her ever knowing it. hmm
0: That's why she was going to put poison in his favorite dessert.
1: hmm They also tried to say that during these wiretaps, It was an affair, not a murder that Sabrina was covering up for so long. And she was doing it because she not only had misplaced love and affection for Jonathan, but she was protective of her husband's legacy. She was doing him a favor by not coming forward because then nobody would know that she had an affair, that he might have had an affair, that they were swingers. She was doing it to honor him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hmm <clears throat> the only evidence we have that Sabrina is involved is Jonathan, said her attorney, Richard Terry. First up for the prosecution was the Bernatines, Jason and then Kelly. Though the two were united in their belief that Sabrina was wholly responsible for Rob's death, it appeared that the pressure of the investigation and media scrutiny had shaken their marriage. By the time the two hit the witness stand, they were recently divorced. Oh,
0: no. Hmm.
1: Both members of the former marriage denied that they were part of a swingers club, but did admit to sexual contact with both of the Limones. Both of the Bernatines claimed that there had been lesbian sex acts between the women, as well as oral sex engaged between some members of the couple's. However, they claimed sexual intercourse had never occurred cross-partner and that members of each couple had not seen the opposite sex partner of the other behind the spouse's back. So I told this, I was reading the story to Nathaniel, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's uh, soft swapping. I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, the term for that is soft swapping. I was like, and you know this, why?
0: <laughs>
1: so, guys, apparently you don't want to meet us at a peewee. <laughs> baseball game or do they or do they maybe you do i'll get my my swinger wink and handshake ready gotta get your capri sun
0: (laughs) can you see me at a peewee soccer game like you might be you might be
1: sipping my own capri sun (laughs) you should see Andy right now she's being very (laughs) disgusting and seductive depending on how you look at it hand in hand yeah, they really – one man's disgusting is another man's seductive.
0: Yep. <laughs>
1: Kelly Bernatine turned beet red on the stand when Richard Terry showed her explicit photos of herself that she had sent to Rob sell while trying to get her to admit that she had had an outside relationship with Robert. Dude, this is so bad. These poor people, the Bernatines are just – living their life, having a good time with their best friends. Yeah. Then because this one evil woman does this evil thing and then they do the right thing and turn them in and give the cops evidence, then everybody that they know, all of their family, all their friends knows every disgusting detail of their sex lives.
0: Yeah. I mean, I... I don't think sex is anything to be ashamed about, but like, obviously, like it's unavoidable to receive judgment from a community when you're
1: like c words, you know? Yeah,
0: but I just don't understand why they're doing this to them. Why are they like embarrassing them?
1: So basically, a big part of the defense is that she was being forced to live this disgusting lifestyle and that they have photos of her also partying and oh yeah but his her defense is that like she was forced into it that the reason why she turned to jonathan is because he was like this godly young guy who offered a different path to her that she didn't want that lifestyle so he was like digging deep her attorney being like you know, basically trying to say that this was this lifestyle she didn't want that he was forcing her into, which there was no evidence about that whatsoever, you know? Yeah. Man. Yeah. And I think they're also doing that thing that we've talked about that defense attorneys do where they put the victim on trial. So they're saying that he was having an affair with Kelly potentially. And, you know, obviously he wasn't living a good lifestyle either, you know? Which you, we, I think everyone at this point knows how we feel about that because they can't defend themselves. So it's like,
0: it's such a cop out.
1: It's such a cop out. It's unbelievably disrespectful. And I mean, the other thing is like, stepping aside for a second all of this sex stuff was between consenting adults and they were being completely honest and straightforward with their partners they were yeah. they were participating with their partners you know it's just like you said there's nothing that anyone should feel ashamed or embarrassed or put on trial for but you know in this community they are being and they have this defense attorney who's in their face and can you imagine being, like, shown – explicit photos of yourself being shown at a trial? No. It's I can't just... believe that
0: that can happen if they're, like – It was
1: unclear in the book whether he was just showing them to her as evidence, but the jury and the attorneys and the judge all have yeah. access to whatever goes into evidence, you that's, know? That's fucked up. I don't like mm-hmm. this guy. Do not, do not like him at What's his all. name? Richard Terry. Ugh. God, defense attorneys have to be real sleazy sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think like I think there's a lot of times if they're that necessary.
1: There's... Yeah, you know they have to defend innocent people, and that's doing good work as well. But oh, sometimes the things that they do to get their clients off is so skeezy. I know. So they also spoke at length about Sabrina's affair with Jonathan and their early suspicions about their involvement in the murder. The prosecution also brought up Jonathan's friends and family to offer the counter argument that Jonathan was basically a good guy caught up in a web with an 11 years older femme fatale because they were trying to paint her as this vulnerable, naive dimwit who had been taken advantage of by this smart guy And they're like, wait a minute, what if it's this older woman that wanted her husband gone that took advantage of a young, naive guy, which is the real case, you know? And honestly, given that he killed a dog, I feel like it's somewhere in the middle. She's not innocent, he's not innocent, you know?
0: Yeah, they're both not
1: innocent. They're just both terrible people, especially, I really, really hate it when people try to justify their actions by like using God or any other ridiculous trumped up reason, you know? Yeah. They, of course, also brought up the wiretaps and the forensics, and then it was time for the big show, Jonathan Hearn himself, to hit the stand. Jonathan was now 27, but still younger looking than his years, and he detailed a love affair that began when he was only 22 and Sabrina was 33. So, like I said, they had met at Costco, where Sabrina didn't wear a wedding ring due to her job in food (gasps) services. By the time she revealed she was married, they had already spoken several times on the phone, and he was completely captivated by her. So she said she didn't wear a wedding ring because Costco didn't allow it it, because she was handling food.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know if that's true. If you guys work at Costco, let us know if the sample people can't wear wedding rings. Yeah, anywhere where there's samples. I'd be so curious. He detailed how the affair got rolling, how they exchanged I love you's very early, and how they had plans for the future, how ashamed Sabrina had been to have been on such an ungodly path, and how desperate she was to find a partner to walk a righteous path with, how Robert not only insisted they party and drink and swing, but he also had a pornography obsession, which, like, leave the man's porn out of it. He he doesn't need to be put on trial. You've already killed him, you know? unreal he's a man yeah also I'd be curious to know what her definition of a pornography obsession or addiction would be because I think it's different than like a legit porn addict
0: yeah is it you mean the collection of you and your friends
1: tits on his phone (laughs) exactly it's pretty tame so also like I just at any point he doesn't sound like an unreasonable person if you're like not into doing this anymore. You just have a conversation with the love of your life and you say, hey, we've like really gotten wild lately. The kids are getting a little older. I don't want to like keep doing this. You know, you have a conversation about it. As his wife, I think
0: that was one of her responsibilities.
1: (laughs) Yeah, not that she needs to arrange his murder and then maybe take care of him if he's paralyzed. Maybe. I would (laughs) probably take care of him. She's still asking herself. Yeah, she's like, I would, right? I mean, probably. That's the the godly thing to do. Is that is that the godly thing to do after I try to kill him to take care of him? Jonathan outlined Rob's discovery of the affair, their brief breakup afterwards, and then reunion after what he termed a chance meeting at Costco. It's not really a chance meeting if you know she works there. (laughs) It's just like a a light stalking. (laughs) It was fate. Yeah. Over and over again, Jonathan and Sabrina justified their relationship based on Rob's alleged behavior. So this is from Jonathan's testimony. They had an open relationship where he was pretty exploitative. At least she expressed to me that he was pretty exploitative and he objectified her. And pretty much the emotional entanglement or conflict with that was there. Here she was, married to him, but yet he was pretty much willing to pass her off to any other guy and not leave the doors of their marriage closed. When she tried to talk to Robert about this, he grew distant and absorbed himself in his work and hobbies. She expressed that he rarely included the kids in his projects, but was pretty focused on his partying, his truck, his boat. Prosecutor Smith asked, how did you feel when she was telling you these things about her family life? The foundation of a number of our conversations were justifying in nature, he said. They were to look for justification for an affair that we were carrying on and shouldn't have been and over which I felt guilt for. They were meant to alleviate that guilt. So the pivotal moment came for Jonathan especially when Sabrina gave him a romantic letter for Valentine's Day. So it was discovered by the police and it was entered into evidence for this case. And it reads, get ready to vom a little bit. My Jonathan, I love you. I love you for finding the part of me that I never thought I'd find. I love you for wanting and needing me by your side. I love you for trusting me with your heart, your pride, your wisdom, and soul. I love you for the intimate exchanges we have. I love you for me being the one you chose to take care of. I love you for the special meaning you have brought to my life. I love you for hopes and faith in our future together. I love you for giving me a new perspective on life. I love you for wanting to live for God. I love you for seeing more than my parts and pieces and loving all of who I am. I love you for believing in me and all that I have to offer. I love you for so many reasons. I've only written a few, but in all that years bring to us, I never want you to forget that you are made for me. I was made for you. Signed, your first true love. Was that card from Costco? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is like written like a 13 or 14 year old girl with her
0: first crush. Yeah. I mean, maybe Ew. the defense attorney wasn't exaggerating that she was, what did he call her? <laughs> He called her a dim-witted dupe. Dim-witted dupe. I knew it was something with a D.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Jonathan claims after he got this note that the tenor of their relationship changed and they really firmly decided they wanted to have a future together. And obviously Robert couldn't be part of that. So at first it kind of started as a joke talking about killing him. And then it grew in seriousness. Divorce, Jonathan claimed Sabrina said, was simply not an option for her or Robert. Guys, how many times do we have to say this? I think Just every time. Get divorced. Just period. Get period. Divorce. Period. <laughs> it's like Nike. Oh Just do it. Seriously. Oh. As ironic and sad as it sounds for Rob's sake, she expressed that he would honestly rather be dead than divorced and that losing her would essentially kill him, which she didn't want to cause. She's she's thinking a lot about herself. That's exactly the, – the, the next word I wrote was selfish. Yeah. So unbelievably selfish. So they started discussing how they would do it. So would they make it look like a car accident or were they going to do, you know, make it look like a fire? And they ended up landing on poisoning, which is where the first murder plot started taking form. So Prosecutor Smith asked, what information did Sabrina provide to you about this poisoning they decided on? A lot of things, including but not limited to, she did express that he had a little bit of a kind of rare medical condition. The name of it escapes me that presented with some symptoms that might be mimicked in a poisoning attempt, said Jonathan, referring to Robert's 2005 bout with Guillain-Barre syndrome. It might be like Guillain-Barre, so forgive me, guys. Um, She also mentioned that recently he had been having some stomach issues. The poisoning could be done in a way to show flu-like symptoms. Robert would be pronounced dead on site or in the hospital without a criminal investigation. They just needed the right poison and the right circumstances. They opted for sneaking poison into his food. So this is where he says that she told him either to put it in some sort of Costco sandwich he liked or the dessert. And they picked the banana pudding with Neil away first. So fucked. This is ridiculous. On March 19th, 2014, Jonathan ordered a vial of arsenic trioxide from LabChem, Inc. of Jackson's Point, Pennsylvania. He purchased it through a mail order using a prepaid debit card loaded through a PayPal account under an alias. He had the arsenic sent to his grandparents' commercial art studio. The cost was $115. The arsenic arrived on April 19th. On the internet, he researched how much poison relative to Robert's weight he would need to use. He said on the stand, I experimented that on a neighbor dog. That had caused me considerable issues in the past, he said. He laced a piece of salmon with the arsenic and tossed it over the fence. He never heard the dog bark again. So Jonathan made two batches of pudding, a large portion without the poison intended for Sabrina's family, a second secret smaller batch laced with arsenic just for Robert. He said he drove out to see Sabrina and he believed Robert was working that day. He gave her two Tupperware containers of pudding and explained the smaller portion was the portion that he had put the poison in to put in Robert's lunch the next day. The next day, the plan was scotched. He and Sabrina decided not to put the poisoned pudding in Robert's lunch. They feared that after Robert died, their relationship would be discovered through phone records, mm -hmm, and it would look bad for them. We agreed to call him if possible and divert him from eating that poison-laced pudding, said Jonathan. Sabrina phoned Robert and told him to stay away from the pudding because the bananas had gone bad. He didn't eat it and he lived just long enough for Sabrina and Jonathan to come up with another plan. I also have something to say. Yeah. I I
0: think that's really offensive that she packed it for lunch because I feel like the vanilla wafers would definitely get really soggy. <laughs> don't you think like I feel like that's like something that you do at dinner like after your husband's been home from like working all day at his dangerous maybe. job and you like freshly put the vanilla wafers with the banana pudding
1: maybe some people like it soft then it's all mush
0: you know how I feel about <laughs> banana texture already so I think I'm already yes. starting at a low point I don't know it just turns into like a big pile of soggy mush yeah yeah
1: isn't that what kind of like tiramisu though is? Isn't that just soggy mush?
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just don't like bananas.
1: <laughs> we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. No bananas for Andy. No bananas and no soggy
0: ass fucking vanilla wafers in bananas <laughs> for lunch. Like, that's offensive. I mean, I
1: think it's worse to pretend to be loving and be like, I know this is your favorite dessert. I yeah, put something for your lunch to brighten up your day, and it's full of arsenic.
0: Like, even I think itch. the soggy,
1: soggy wafers are the least of his worries here. <laughs> I'm offended for him though, you know.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so after they realized that they could have been very easily caught through the phone records after this poisoning event, um, that's when Jonathan bought Sabrina the burner phone so they could better cover their tracks. So during this period – It seems like Jonathan was trying to psych himself up to like just straightforwardly murder Robert like he ultimately ended up doing. So the police actually ended up finding this list he wrote about Rob's shortcomings and why he had to kill him.
0: Okay. And they
1: entered that in as evidence. The prosecution did. So that reads this list, which is absurd. Gave his wife away to another man to share passionate experience that humans can share together. Gave his wife away to other women. Wants to have a threesome. This is the one that really gets me. Views his wife as cum dumpster. (laughs) He, He wrote this in the list, it's on the list. Views his wife as cum, and then he wrote in parentheses question mark, like he didn't know the spelling dumpster and then in parentheses and she is amazing oh no yep and then he wrote defied the underlined capital letters living god and then wrote with an asterisk please kill him god with three exclamation points and then he wrote I love you, Colin. My vision has not changed. Divorce or wait for Rob to leave? God's punishment. Like he's just thinking these things out loud, I guess. Oh my God. But this is really weird that he kept that for them to find. That's oh, a weird that's list. that's creepy. It's a creepy, creepy list. Come dumpster? Yeah, come dumpster. You know, didn't think that had a place in this story, but here we are. Here we are. I didn't think that so- had a place
0: in the world.
1: No, I don't think that's a place anywhere appropriate. It was a couple months after this note was written that Jonathan told Sabrina he'd handle it like a man and just take Robert out himself. Sabrina was enthusiastic about the murder plot and even offered some advice on avoiding detection, telling him that the rapid responder trucks had recently been outfitted with forward-facing cameras and that he should avoid the front of the truck. Sabrina pushed him to murder Robert before a river trip they had planned for the last weekend of August. She told Jonathan the trip was sure to include binge drinking and partner swapping, and she couldn't bear it any longer. Oh, no. That poor victim. Also, you just tell your husband you don't want to drink and party. Why don't you say, why don't we go away, just the two of us the somewhere? The second Jonathan got arrested, he she had some new dick in there yeah exactly it's ridiculous on august (laughs) 17th ridiculous (laughs) on august 17th she told him rob would be alone in tehachapi and the murder die was cast after speaking several times with sabrina and then leaving his phone at home to avoid gps detection he took his 45 and motorcycle to go murder robert he prayed before he entered the shop he confronted robert while he stood in the small office. But even when he's testifying, he said that they exchanged some words and Robert was like surprised to see him but knew exactly who he was, you know, and wasn't like alarmed. He wasn't like worried. He was just kind of like, what the fuck are you doing here, you know? And then even now, Jonathan said that he couldn't actually remember what they said to one another because he was so amped up on adrenaline. So we still don't know what their last words were to each other. So at that point, He was wearing a backpack because he had, you know, driven on his motorcycle. And he had a backpack with a gun in it. And he was trying to talk to Rob at the same time that he was trying to get the gun out of the backpack. And basically, Rob kind kind of figured out like something weird was going on and he was coming towards him. So he panicked and he shot him from inside the backpack. So he was fooling like he was basically trying to get the the gun out and he had his hand on the trigger and when rob came near him to maybe fight whatever he was getting he i don't he didn't see the gun it was still in his backpack when rob advanced toward him to get the backpack out of his hands that's when he shot the gun and that's why it was at that extreme upward angle because of where he was holding the gun he's lucky it was facing the right way I know. It's insane. I mean, this was unbelievably botched. It's incredible how accurate the kill shot really was, you know, given that he's fooling around with a gun in his backpack. Yeah. I mean, he's very lucky. Unfortunately, Rob is very unlucky. I mean, this could be a totally different story, you know? Yeah. After Rob was down and seemingly dead, Jonathan ransacked the office and stole a laptop to make it appear as a robbery. He then left the BNSF shop on his motorcycle, got back on Highway 58, and headed east. He told the court that he was scared in the moment, but later all he felt was relief. The plan he and Sabrina had put into place so long ago had finally been carried out. He also confirmed when they brought up the wiretaps that they used the term affair when they were talking about the murder as well. Yeah. When it was the defense's turn, they called Sabrina's children and sister and even her former swinging buddy Dale as character witnesses, which is really interesting. Finally, Richard Terry called his client, the star of this shit show, Sabrina Limone, to the stand. Together, attorney and client spun the narrative that she was a sweet Christian woman attempting to escape a sinful life with a sex-obsessed husband. And she fell prey to yet another man who wanted to control and possess her. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. She claimed that she never wanted Rob dead. She never told Jonathan she wanted Rob dead. She didn't believe that Rob should be dead. She said that she did not know anything about the murder plot and that she actually didn't even know that he killed him at all, even though she told the police later on that she had known about it. Yeah, She said that if she had any suspicions, she must have buried them deep down because she didn't want to believe it. And she said that she only told the police that she knew that Jonathan was the murderer because she knew that's what they wanted to hear. And she was a people pleaser. So ridiculous. Come on. When it was time for closing arguments, the prosecutor ran down the piles of evidence against Sabrina, and the defense tried to convince the jury yet again that Sabrina was just a woman who made some bad personal choices and had avoided disclosing the affair after the murder for fear of being (sighs) slut-shamed. Like, come on. If anyone should be, like, bummed out about that, it's Kelly Bernatine, who is suffering the (laughs) wrath of these people being ridiculous. Yeah. She should be shamed. Like, not for her sexual activity, but for killing her her husband. And hypocrisy. Yeah. And her hypocrisy. So the defense pleaded with a jury to allow Sabrina to return to her children. After all, she was the only parent they had left. Whose fault is that? This bitch. This bitch. Though later the jury members said they were absolutely moved by the plight of the Limon children, it seemed it was not enough to acquit. After about a day and a half of deliberation, the jury found Sabrina Limon guilty of first-degree murder. Nice. They also found her guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and solicitation of murder as well as accessory to murder. She was found not guilty of attempted murder. Which was the poisoning plot. Okay. It's so crazy that it went
0: from nothing,
1: you're free, to, to all of those. To five charges, I think. It ends wow. up being something like that. Four or five. Yeah. So on the plaza outside the courthouse, the reaction to the verdict fell along family lines. I'm excited. I'm relieved, Robert Lamone's sister, Chris Wilson, told reporters. It's just been a long three years and it's time to put this behind us and move on. It'll never bring my brother back, but it will bring justice. And that's what we've been looking for. Yeah. Sabrina's sister, Julia Cordova, bristled at the response from Robert's family. How anybody could be celebrating during this time is sickening to me, she said. It's those kids, Robbie and Liana. they're going to suffer for the rest of their life for this. It's like, sorry, your sister did this to her children. Yeah, it's her fault. Mm Mm-hmm. The verdict, she said, defied common sense. A cold-blooded murderer? They believed him? It's just absurd to me. Her sister, she insisted, didn't didn't do this. I know that. She's an amazing mother, an amazing person. No. Just. One of the jurors spoke to the media. Her name was Priscilla Phillips, and she was juror number six. And this is what she had to say. She said the panel rejected the charges related to the poisoning because of reasonable doubt. Well, I thought that it was possible she did it, there was no evidence to prove that she did it, said Phillips. And jurors were more responsive to Richard Terry's appeals to their emotions than prosecutor Eric Smith would have wanted. I had a hard time not crying, Phillips said, on the day the children testified. My heart broke for those children. We talked about the kids and what it was going to do to them to find their mom guilty. We talked about how horrific it was going to be for them. As for the characters of the two key players... Jonathan Hearn struck her as very intelligent bookwise, but very naive streetwise. I felt bad for him. I felt bad for everybody involved. I thought it was such a waste of a promising life. Sabrina was another matter. She didn't help herself, said Phillips. I'm sure that was part of the reason why a lot of us women were on there, so that we could have empathy with her. But I never had that for her. I didn't sympathize with her. We live in a world where it's too easy to get up and walk away. I never felt a connection with her. In the end, Phillips said, the biggest thing I kept circling back to were the statements they made that Rob Limone would rather be dead than divorced. I don't believe anyone ever asked him that question. No, no. Mm -hmm. And you do not have the right to
0: say that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. On Thursday, November 16th, 2017, Jonathan Hearn returned to court for his formal sentencing. Rob's family was present and they spoke directly to the court and to Jonathan. This is what they said. There's been tears of sadness, tears of pain, tears of anger, followed by the bitter sweetness of justice. The pain of heart has diminished with the honesty and the admission of guilt from Mr. Hearn. We do not struggle with Mr. Hearn's plea deal, Cindy, his sister said. He has spoken and testified to the truth, and that has brought accountability to all parties involved. Through all of these emotions, I have come to a place of forgiveness for Mr. Hearn. Forgiving is not okaying the action of Mr. Hearn. I will never forget, but I will heal through forgiveness, and that justice has been served to our brother. It was a short speech, and as she returned to the audience section with other friends and families of Roberts, Jonathan broke down. He gasped inside and wiped tears. He then stood, the shackles on his handcuffs jingling. He turned to his left and looked at the Lamone family through wet eyes and said, I have sinned. He sniffled and continued, I am aware that for my crimes, anything short of death is really merciful. For my sin, I truly do deserve much worse. I have wept and struggled, searching for adequate words to express my repentance. It seems like saying I'm sorry to you all will never be enough. So speaking on borrowed and undeserved breath, I offer you my brokenhearted and genuine apology, knowing that it cannot compare to the grief I have caused you all. Oh, I think he was pretty genuine. Yeah, you still killed a dog though. You still killed a dog and a dad. Yeah. Not okay. You can't kill dads and dogs out here. No. So he was given his promised sentence of 25 years and four months. Sabrina was sentenced to 25 years to life with a minimum sentence of 26 years and four months. So she got a whole extra year on him. She acquired a new lawyer and fought to overturn the conviction and receive a new trial. The motion was denied. She is currently serving her sentence in Chowchilla Prison outside of Fresno, California, and inmate records show she could be eligible for parole as early as 2039, slightly less than I think her original sentence, but maybe that's good behavior and time served, etc. So she'll be 59 or 60-ish by the time she is up for parole. Okay. Meanwhile, John Finn is reportedly flourishing in prison, teaching Bible study. What else? And as of last reporting in 2019, taking college courses. Due to a new law that minimizes sentences for offenders who were under the age of 25 at the time of their sentencing, Jonathan may be eligible for parole as early as November 2028. Wow. Whoa, that would be serving about 11 years of his sentence, not counting time he s- spent in jail before his sentence. Okay. So if he does get out in 2028, I think he would only be something like 38 upon his release. So much better than 50. So much better than 50. That is plenty of time to rebuild a life. Yep. And if he does get this opportunity, I hope he makes better choices. I hope so too. So that is what I think I'm going to call Killer Costco Christians. Okay, that's brilliant. That's that's I think what we're going for for the title. And you know what's really ironic? Uh, for a show about some so-called Christians, the only ones who were really acting very Christian-like were Robert's family who forgave him. They were the real Christians in this story. Yep. So, God bless you, Limone <laughs> sisters, and I hope you guys are all living your best life out there in the
0: world. Yeah, they. I mean, they did a good job putting everything aside and and keeping their eyes on what's important with getting Sabrina in jail.
1: Exactly. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. You know, if you, if you
0: didn't kill him with your bare
1: hands, if I didn't actually kill her with my own hands. <laughs> yep so that is this week's episode thanks to everyone out there for listening if you have made it this far uh and you like the show please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and of course also reviews make a huge difference not only to the algorithm that shows us to more people and moves us up the charts but also to our hearts and souls when we read your kind words. So thank you a lot to Teresa, Renee, Brianna, and Elkirk412. You guys wrote some... Really beautiful and funny and sweet reviews this week that turned whatever frowns we had upside down. Learning more about our listeners
0: and knowing what they are like and kind of reading their personalities through the reviews has been so, so fun. So I feel like it really
1: has. I mean, it's been great to find out what your sense of humor is, what you guys respond to. And we really do feel like we're talking to a whole bunch of friends. Yeah. And, and I think um- we
0: want that to continue on like a community basis with Instagram and Facebook too. So if there's ever anything that you want to chime in about or let us know, I know we had that one woman this week who told us that she was a prosecutor, right?
1: Yes. We had a former prosecutor yeah. write to us to help us uh, better understand what happens when juveniles are uh, tried as adults. They don't necessarily go to an adult prison all the time, you know, and it's different. We were talking about it specifically in the Pamela smart case, but yeah, she gave us some great information and also, um uh, Uh, pointed us to a snapped episode she's on so we might actually end up doing that case later on we've also had some nice messages from people so yeah we'd love to see you know who you are in a review and it makes us so happy but also feel free to dm us and let us know what you're thinking and what you like um we had somebody else reach out from australia and let us know how they were feeling about our sound quality you know it's it's all welcome super duper welcome guys and and we love your feedback so please review us send us a dm um let us know what you're thinking we love to hear from you so in conclusion if you go to costco stick to tasting the samples not the sample girl everyone
0: i'm pretty sure that thou shalt not kill is number one in the commandments. so <laughs> so if Let's you're a good
1: Christian, why don't we start there <laughs> number one and as always just get Divorced.
0: Please.
1: (laughs) Theme of this show, just get divorced. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.